All right, book of Jude. I know almost everyone is gone, so what we'll do is I'm going to delete this so that the people who are here don't get to hear it, and then I can just say you have to come to church to hear stuff for now. I know I won't do that. I won't do that. Okay, I'm like, yeah, you weren't there. That's it. You're behind. Okay. But then the sad reality, they may be like, well, we don't really care, so I don't know if I want to do that or not. So, all right, book of Jude. We are currently in, a, in our outline where we're looking at what we're calling the descriptions as Jude offers a number, a, a lot of different descriptions of the false teachers. We started off with the reminders. Well, we actually started off with kind of the introduction and all of the information about the purpose of the book and all of that. We're not going to go through all of that. But after doing these reminders, and the reminders was to try to get the people to be willing to contend for the faith by reminding them of the judgment that is coming upon the false teachers who had crept into the church unaware. All right, so we've gone through that, you know, numerous, numerous times over and over and over. Then he transitions after he gives all of these reminders into these descriptions of the false teachers. And in some ways, it feels like, I I don't know, it depends on how you feel when you read it, um, the more you read the book, the more you kind of go, like, how, how many different descriptions do you need for these false teachers? Like, you know, three, shouldn't three be sufficient? Shouldn't four be sufficient? Shouldn't five? But it just it goes on and on and on and on and on. So, obviously, it's significant, and so we're going to do our best to try to go through them. The very first one that we looked at, I don't know if you remember... The first one we looked at was in verse 4, Jude chapter or chapter 1, verse 4, Jude 4, because there's no chapters. Jude verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before old ordained to this condemnation, and in the phrase ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we did a lot of work on the word ungodly. Not going to go back and review it all. We will maybe at a different time. So we looked at the idea that they are ungodly and what does that mean and how does it relate to us? I guess what I'm, one of the things I want to do here, and I don't know how well it will work, is I kind of want to, it's easy to look at the false teachers and go, they're ungodly, they're this, they're this, they're this, they're this. But I think that at the same time, there has to be a little bit of honesty that some of the descriptions may be like, may hit a little closer to home than we would like to believe or or like to pretend. So I'll try to draw that connection here. But today we come to verse verse 8, and we get a number of descriptions all thrown together in verse 8. All right, so you may want to write these down. The first one is, likewise, also these filthy dreamers. That's the first one, filthy dreamers. Some may say the next one is not really a description, but we're, we're going to write it down as one. Filthy dreamers, second, defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Filthy dreamers, defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now, when you look, and, and I, I don't want to put you out too much on the spot since there's just a, a few of you here this morning, but uh, I probably will anyway because that's the way I teach, all right? So you just got to have to be prepared for that, all right? But when I look at these, is there any one of these that is more, sticks out to you more than uh, the others? 
Is there one specific one that you're like, okay, maybe that's the key to understanding all of them? Is there any one that you think? If not, that's okay. Well, just put it this way. Let's start with this. Does one seem to jump out at you more than another? Like just for your own personal, like, oh, that's an interesting phrase. That one, that one sticks out to me more than the others. Filthy dreamers, okay. Filthy dreamers. Speak evil of dignities, okay. So everyone's going to have a different one, that, and that's okay. That's perfectly okay. Did you have a, one, a different one? Okay, all right. Okay, that's, that's kind of the way I, I feel as well. All right. But I, I, all of them are, so, they're, they're kind of unique, but I do believe possibly despisers of dominion may actually be maybe the key. Maybe the key. I, I think this is one of those that they all look separate, but maybe these are all, the reason they're all in one verse is maybe they're grouped together. Maybe there's, there's a common connection here. So let's at least, we'll spend a little time just take, take, taking these apart just initially, and we'll, we'll, we'll probably, we'll, we'll see how we just kind of flow through this, all right? So let's just start with this. The first one is filthy dreamers, right? So if you have the Blue Letter Bible app, let's just do a little bit of work, and let's look up the word filthy. Now, if you'll notice in the King James, do you need notice something about the word filthy? In the King James? Just look at the, the word filthy in the King James. Ah, it's italicized. What does that mean in the King James? Yeah, it's not in the original, right? So that's, that's already interesting. So I'm going to do this really quick. I'm going to do this. I'm going to look it up in every like English translation I can find on earth really quick and just see how they handle it, right? Because... Maybe we have something interesting going on here, and it'd be interesting to know why the King James translators placed it there. All right. Here is, I'm going to go through a number of these. New International. Everybody ready? In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. That's an interesting way to translate it. Now, what's not there? This dreamers, now you can kind of see they put these ungodly people, so maybe that's where filthy is coming from, New Living Translation, and the same way these people who claim authority from their dreams, instead of filthy, they claim authority from their dreams, but they live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. These other translations really add a lot here that you're like, what in the world's going on? ESV, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Now that's interesting because the ESV seems to add the dreams is the key here. Because they rely on their dreams. There's something about their dreams, they rely on these dreams, and then from these dreams, they do all of these other things. That's kind of... Interesting. The Berean uh, standard. Yet in the same way, these dreamers defile their bodies, reject authority, and slander glorious beings. Berean literal Bible. Yet likewise also these dreaming ones indeed defile the flesh, set aside authority, and blaspheme glorious ones. So is it the dreams, Whatever the, however we understand these dreams, is the dreams what leads to all of the other actions? That seems that maybe that's the key. 
So maybe the, because I, despisers of dominion, is what you said, like that's what jumped out at me. But maybe the dream is what causes it. Go ahead. Ah. Okay. And then all these other cause and effect, right? So they dream, and as a result of the dream, is that what you're saying? The rest follows. Okay. I think there's. I think that's a definitely. I, I think that seems to be the direction all the translations are going. So what, so, that, so what would be key in understanding this verse? What in the world is this dream? What, like, what is the dream referring to? What is these dreams, right? These, they're dreamers because what does that mean? How do, how do we understand that, right? Are they going to sleep and waking up and going, look, I had this dream and now we can go. Is that, is that what we understand it to be or, or something else, all right? Um, the, the New American, yet in the same way, these people also dreaming, defile the flesh, reject authority, speak abusively of angelic majesties. So, uh, the Amplified, I'll go this way. Nevertheless, in the same way, these dreamers, now this is interesting. Look what the Amplified Bible does. Nevertheless, in the same way, these dreamers who are dreaming that God will not punish them, also defile the body, reject legitimate authority, revile and mock angelic majesties. Now, what is going on with these? We want to figure out what's going on with these individuals. So let's, let's at least go to the Blue Letter Bible app. Now, the word filthy may not be of much significance. It's, it's not on most, but let's at least look what the King James does here. Likewise, I'm going to open up the uh, interlinear. Right. Likewise, also these dreamers, if you'll notice, do you notice something interesting about the interlinear if you're looking at it? There's no word for filthy. Now, they have sarks, the Greek word sarks, in fact, let me look at it, which points back to dreamers. And you probably know the word sarks because it's a very important word in the Bible. Or at Strong's least. G, 4561, sarks. Sarks. Okay. Now, if you if you're not familiar with it, sarks is used 151 times, and guess what? It's translated 147 times as flesh. Two times carnal. Uh, one time carnally minded, and one time fleshly. Strong's definition of sarks is basically. Flesh as stripped from the skin, the meat of an animal, the body as opposed to the soul or the spirit as the symbol of what is external. And so it's, it's basically referring to our fleshly part of our being. Okay, so if you look at the interlinear, I don't know if, you, if you're using the Blue Letter Bible app and you'll, you can see this. They have the word sarks pointing up to the word dreamers. So, in other words, fleshly, fleshly in a sense of being carnal or being sinful, is connected to dreamers. So, in other words, in their, their dreams are defined as what? Filthy or fleshly. Right? So, think of it, th- okay, think of it this way. Um, let's see if this makes sense. Maybe this will work. 
Don't think of a dream as go to sleep, have a dream and wake up. Think of a dream of something that you're hoping for, wanting, longing for, your desire, your hope, your plans, that kind of thing. Everybody talks about what is your dream, right? What is your dream in life? Okay. Right. Okay, good. Because some people hear the word dreamers and may think of a different perspective, okay? Like they get some kind of vision in their dream or something. Okay. So if we think of it that way, and everyone has those dreams about life, like either dreams you'll tell people about or dreams you won't tell people about, but you've got your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your, your whatever, the, your fantasies, whatever you want to call them, all right? And we know that many of them can be more controlled and dominated by what? Flesh, right? What you want to accomplish, what you hope for, what you dream, what you want versus a dream that is controlled or dominated by what? Something spiritual, right? If if you were to write out your hopes and your dreams in life, is it going to reflect something that's more spiritual or more fleshly? Probably for all of us, it's going to reflect what? flesh, right? Because if we were writing spiritual dreams, what is my hope and dreams? To glorify God. That sounds good, right? That's the church answer. Very few people really mean that, right? What do, what do I hope? I hope that I want to see the great commission filled and I want to disciple people. All of those things are the words we all know we're supposed to say, but we don't really always operate under that. So there, there's something about their dreaming their, 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 their thinking that clearly is very flesh and self-focused. Does that make sense? So I just, I think it's interesting the way the interlinear has Sarks pointing up to dreamers, right? I don't know if you could, if, if, you, if you're using the Blue Letter Bible app, you can see what I'm referring to. So they're, they're clearly, Sarks is pointed to the dreamers. So it, the King James says filthy dreamers. What's another way we could describe it? Fleshly dreamers. Now, I think we can all relate to that, right? Filthy, we may, filthy may imply, when we hear filthy, we may think of something like completely, or like really bad, something really, you know, dirty, wrong. But in this particular case, just think of it as fleshly as, a fo- as opposed to spiritual. Are you a fleshly dreamer or a spiritual dreamer? And we know what we all are. We're fleshly. Come on, come on. It is. Our, our hopes and dreams are so self-centered, it's not even funny. Okay, So now we need to look at the word dreamers. Does this give us any idea? All right. Oh, wow, this goes in some interesting directions. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce this. Strong's G, 1797. And Upniadzomai. Yeah. And Upniadzomai. And Upniadzomai. lexicon. And Upniadzo. Okay. And Upniadzo. And Upniadzo. Zamai. I, I go with Zamai, right? It, that, one, that one would take some work. Okay. Uh, the Strong's definition just means to dream or dreamer. That's not helpful, is it? It's used, guess how many times it's used? Two times. That's not helpful. Guess how it's translated? Dream and filthy dreamer. Okay. Uh, and it means to dream. Divinely suggested dreams. Now, that one's interesting. To dream divinely suggested dreams would go beyond just kind of our daydream kind of concept. Right? A divine, when you like, feel like you're getting a dream from God. 
All right, that, that would really add to this, which this, may, this one may be the direction we need to go more so with this. Okay, let, 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 me, let me ask you this. Why do you think we want to go with the idea that these filthy dreamers, there's something they believe is divinely inspired about their dreams is because they're men who've crept into the church who are false teachers. Well, you're going you're gonna to be really committed to your teaching if you believe that it came to you from God. If it came to you from God. I mean, think about it. Uh, lots of religious movements and ideas have come from people who believe that either they had a vision or they had a dream and God was speaking to them in that dream. And once you believe God is speaking to you in a dream, it's very hard to convince someone, no, 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 that wasn't God. No, no, no. Now they're like, no, it was from God. I mean, that's, that's the never ending. Now, this is interesting. Um, go to the book of Galatians. Go to the book of Galatians really quick. I'm not saying that this is, we should go here. I don't, that the text demands this cross-reference, but I think it's important to at least bring this up here. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. You probably know where I'm going. Or you should know where I'm going. All right, go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writing to the church at Galatia. They're having somewhat of a similar problem. Look at verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. All right, so you got these believers, and Paul is somewhat shocked. He is baffled. He is confused that these people who believed in the gospel are turning to what? Another gospel. And he's like, what, what just, what happened? What, what, what's going on? Next verse. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now look at verse eight. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now I like the fact that he throws in the angelic idea, Right? Because this seems to say that no matter how you obtain said information or belief or message is given to you, what's the ultimate standard? Well, for them, the ultimate standard is what the apostles had preached, right? If, they, if it deviated from the apostolic teaching, it was wrong. Well, for us, we would argue, what's the standard? Would be scripture. So in other words, what from, from a Christian perspective, and I know this goes against especially much in the charismatic world, it's not a vision, it's not a dream, it's scripture. So if I had a vision or a dream that goes against scripture, I would reject what? The vision and the dream. Same thing goes with miracles, right? If, if someone showed up in Abilene raising the dead, healing people, people missing arms and legs, and they got them back, and there was you know, 10,000 people at the Colosseum, and everybody's losing their mind from God, that does not prove it's from God. We would check it with Scripture, not based off miracles, because when we get to Revelation, we talk about that at that period of time, depending how you view eschatology, people are going to be deceived by what? Signs and wonders. And it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that we can see signs and wonders and go, well, that has to be from God. It doesn't have to be from God. 
It doesn't have to be. Miracles and power and all of those things, dreams, visions, does not necessarily mean God is involved. And I know it goes against everything inside of us to say no. Well, these people are having some kind of dream, but it seems that they believe the dream is what? Possibly, at least as suggested by the Greek word, that it's divinely suggested. Now, the second part of the biblical usage is simply to be beguiled with sensual images and carried way to an impious course of conduct. In other words, the idea here is they have these dreams. There's something sensual or fleshly about the dream, right? That's probably why the King James goes with filthy dreamers to try to help us understand. It's not just the dreaming. There's something fleshly about the dream. So you can see why they're trying to clarify and add to make sure we understand. So the point is they have these dreams that are sensual fleshly, not necessarily like we immediately may think sexual, but not that way. Just it's a sensual fleshly dream and they believe it's from God. So if they believe it's from God, what direct, they're going to do what? Follow it, teach it, and be committed to it. And it's very difficult to have that. How do you, how do you contend with someone? Like you're like, no, 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 that's wrong. I had a dream from God. Well, well, especially at that time, all they could do is like, well, you're going against the apostles. That's all, they could, that's all they could really say. And they're like, well, if the apostles claim to be hearing from God, why can't I? Right? You, you can literally see where this could go. So this is kind of an interesting development that we have here, that whoever these people, people are, have, they, they feel like that they have a, something from God in some kind of a dream kind of way, whether it's just their own daydream, They believe it's from God. Whether it's an actual dream, they believe it's from God and it's leading them down this course that they're going to follow. That is a very good point. Right. In fact, they could even justify it, right? where Where could they go in the Old Testament and point to a dream that came from God? Well, you could immediately go to Genesis, the story of Joseph, right? I mean, that's where I would have just immediately go right there. Even in Abraham, right? He went to sleep and all those things, right? So you could, you could probably go a number of places. So it'd be even more difficult to argue with them. I, I guess what I'm trying to, what I want you to see is the difficulty in contending that, that it's always, we always have this feeling or at least sometimes in Christianity, that people we disagree with, well, it should be so easy to contend, and then when you start contending, you realize it just seems like you can never get anywhere. This is what it would feel like here. These people have come into the church. They they've, they've clearly are teaching something opposite to what is right. And then Jude is like, guys, you've got to contend with them, but you've got to contend with people. Not only are they ungodly, they're filthy dreamers. They believe their dream that this somehow this is connected to God. It's a divinely it's a divinely given dream that is sensual based, not spiritual based. The problem is if they think it comes from God, there's no easy way to talk them out of it. <laughs> that, that, that is a major problem. That is a major that's a major problem. All right, go back to Jude. All right, so I think we, we, had, did we take that apart pretty good. I think we, did, we, th- we got a better understanding of what that means. All right, filthy dreamers. Now we got the next phrase. Defile the flesh. Defile the flesh. Let's look up the word defile. 
and go back to the antilinear. Defile the flesh. Do we see? Here it is. We actually have the word right here, defile. This is interesting. Strong's G, 3392, Miano. 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 She used five times. Guess how it's translated all five times? Defile. That's, we like that, right? Why, why do we always like it when it's, de, de, it's uh, translated the same way? Because it just means there's no like, oh, wait a minute. It's translated this way five times. It's translated way this ten times. Which one do we go with? Like, no, this is simple. It's, it's defined. It's translated defile. So there's no question here what, what's going on. They defile the flesh. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Now, before we look up the, the Greek word, more of the Greek word, why is it an interesting phrase to you? Filthy dreamers, that's, that was just a little like, okay, what's going on here? But to follow the flesh seems almost contrary. I don't know, it seems redundant. Because we already see the flesh as what? Defiled, very good. If the flesh is already defiled, how can they be defilers of the flesh? What does that mean? What does that refer to? Well, let's, let's see if we can get any more from the Greek word here. It's uh, the strongest definition, to sully or taint, to contaminate ceremonially or morally, to file. So they're going to taint, they're going to sully, they're going to contaminate the flesh. The outline uh, of biblical, to dye with another color, to stain. To, def- to defy, pollute, sully, contaminate soil, to defile with sins. That's, that's an interesting phrase, is it not? Uh, there, something is, is very interesting here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look something up here. I'm going to see what others do with this because it's an interesting concept. Most, most of the commentaries immediately focus on the filthy dreamers, which we can see why, correct? Because that's the one that kind of jumps out at us. Let's see here. Defile the flesh. Here's, what, uh, here's a couple of things. Like the inhabitants of the cities of the plain, some of the earliest forms of Gnosticism on its antinomian as distinct from the aesthetic side, exhibit the the licentiousness invade against here. And then they name a number of groups. In other words, you would have those who would go for an ascetic side. That would mean deny the flesh, punish the flesh. This is a side that basically says, no, whatever the flesh wants, it gets. Whatever the flesh wants, it gets. All right, that, that, that would probably be a pretty popular message, right? Now, go back to the beginning of Jude. Remember, what are they doing in verse uh, 4? What are they doing in verse 4? Wait, we, we, we didn't spend any time on this. Look at verse 4. They're turning the grace of God into What? Lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? What is lasciviousness? What do you think? What is lasciviousness? What is lasciviousness? Anyone? What do you think? Okay. Keep going. Anything else? 
if, if, if nobody wants to be, be, it's basically, think of it this way. We can, we'll refer to it as something being unrestrained, all right? Unrestrained lust, unrestrained desire. Yeah, it can have physical relation implications, but just think of it as something unrestrained. So they're turning the grace of God into what? Lasciviousness. In other words, the grace of God becomes what? An ability to do what? Get whatever you want. Because God is gracious, you can get and take whatever you want. So they defile the flesh by doing what? Not denying the flesh. They're giving the flesh whatever it could possibly want. Let's see uh, how some other commentaries may actually work. Most of them, for some weird reason, almost skip this phrase, um, which is kind of interesting. You would think everyone would focus on this. All right, here's, here's the, this one is pretty good. Defile the flesh, pollute themselves, give indulgence to corrupt passions and appetite, appetites. So in other words, whatever they desire or hunger for, they do what? They indulge it. They, they, they take every bit of it. So why, now, why would filthy dreamer, or why would filthy dreamers lead to defiling the flesh? Whatever you, if you believe your dream is inspired by God, then you believe God is justifying what? The defiling of the flesh. Like, it's easy to defile the flesh if you believe it's from God. Remember, this is the problem in the city of Corinth, right? When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, that city has got some serious problems. And one of the serious problems is there's a temple there in the city of Corinth. And in that temple are temple prostitutes. So worshiping God involved physical pleasure. Well, it's very difficult to tell everyone, no, your worship is, no, we're worshiping God. But in the most lustful, fleshly way possible. But if you believe you're worshiping God, it's very difficult to say that what you're doing is wrong. Let me use it in a way that, that, it, that we may not be able to relate to that, right? I mean, in most minds of most religious people today, you're like, if there's a temple there and they've got temple prostitutes, we'd be like, how horrible, right? So we all understand that, right? That, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. But so if we use it in a way that maybe more we can relate to, it's very easy for us to claim that we're doing something spiritual, that we're doing something godly, when in reality, all we're doing is satisfying a fleshly desire, right? Now, whenever I say this, I I make people mad because they misunderstand me, but just hear me out, all right? In many churches, there's lots of activities they offer people, right? I've seen everything from uh, allow, uh, offering the men to go on a wild game hunt and who knows, somewhere up north. And so all the men pack up, they get their guns, they get their bags, and they go all, out to shoot animals and everybody's like, wonderful, great. And they will refer to it as time of fellowship, a time of fellowship, a time of fellowship. All right? Now, what is it really? It's just a hut where men can hang out and shoot animals who like to do that. That's fine, right? I got no problem you want to do it. I just don't know why the church is sponsoring it, why you're raising money for it, why, why the, like what, what, that doesn't make any sense to me. But we refer to it as something spiritual. I can I give other examples. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, many youth groups in most churches, but the youth spend a lot of time doing what? 
A lot of fun and activities, right? And remember, that was, I had a problem with this, not, not when I became older and didn't understand, but as a teenager. I became a, I became a Christian as a teenager, right? So I walk into church like, all right, I'm, okay, all right, let's study. And they're like, tonight we're playing capture the flag. And I'm like, what is going on here? Oh, we're having a lock-in. And I'm thinking, lock-in, okay, we're going to be studying. Wait, we're going to watch, we're going to watch movies and eat pizza? And my thought was, guys, first of all, all of the stuff you're offering me is lame. Because remember, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so what is the church going to offer me? I'm like, give me a break. This is, this, is, this is a joke. Secondly, I was like, I don't need you to give me entertainment. I got that covered, right? I, I'm an expert in entertainment. I got that down. I don't need your help. Now, it was usually the church kids who loved it. Church kids loved it because like, they're tired of church. They want this. But for me, I'm like, what is wrong with you church kids? We, there's a God. He gave us a book. I want to know this. Right? I've already had all of that. I want this. And, they, and I'd be like, hey, on Friday night, let's all get to the church and study Leviticus. And uh, the other teenagers never showed up on Friday night. So I'd break into the church and sit there with my Bible. I'm like, what is, why won't anyone care? What, what's the problem? But guess what? All of those things that they were doing, the church viewed it as what? Something spiritual that we're ministering to the young people. I'm like, you're entertaining the young people. So all I'm saying is we can't, we may not understand this whole defile the flesh in the name of God, but we Christians have Christianized the concept where we can indulge the flesh while claim we're involved in something spiritual. Everyone getting together on a Sunday afternoon for a church picnic, there's nothing spiritual at all going on. It's everyone getting together, having fun, and putting food, or an ice cream social, whatever. Is there anything wrong with those things? I'm not saying they're wrong. I don't know why the church is involved in any of that, because it's never the church is called to do any of that, right? The church is supposed to be giving you this. You've got the entertainment covered. I'm, I'm assuming you don't need my help, right? I don't, I'm assuming on Friday night you're like, Everybody's just sitting in the living room in silence. And like, what's going on? We're waiting for the pastor to tell us what kind of fun we can have. I doubt you. I, I've never had anyone. Pastor, could you tell us what to do this Friday? Could you plan some activity? You don't need me to do that, right? Hopefully you don't. I mean, I mean you've got some serious issues if you do. The, my problem is not the fun. My problem is the spiritualizing the fun. Because all we're really doing is trying to claim that we're doing something spiritual and we can't just admit we like hanging out with people. We like it. It's okay to admit that. Just don't claim that you're more spiritual. In my Christian life, I constantly came in conflict because I wanted to be in ministry and I was constantly told, if you don't enjoy going to the fellowships, if you don't enjoy these activities, there's something wrong with you spiritually. And I'm like, what? What is so spiritual? And they could never explain to me what was so spiritual about it. I'm claiming that we have a way of doing very, I'm not in any way saying it's completely the same, right? I'm not saying a temple with temple prostitutes is the same as this. I'm saying it's similar in the fact that it's our flesh claiming that what we're doing is spiritual or from God. When all we're doing is indulging the flesh. And I'm saying we can just admit it. And it's perfectly okay. Like I've said before, you can, get, you can get five people on a Friday night hanging out with their friends, watching movies, having food, right? If they're not Christian, they just call that hanging out, right? 
get five Christians doing the exact same event, and all of a sudden we refer to it as fellowship. And that makes us somehow feel like, I was spiritual. Okay, that to me is the same thing. Right? That we, we are making, we're taking a fleshly thing, acting like it's from God, and, and it may not be defiling. Please understand, I'm not saying it's defiling. I'm saying it's indulging the flesh in a way claiming it's spiritual. And I want you to see the filthy dreamer, the dream part is they believe somehow it's from God, which leads to them indulging the flesh. I just want you to see the similarities there. I'm not saying it's exactly the same. Similar is not the same. Everyone agree? I'm not saying identical. I'm just saying anyone who's religious, anyone who is spiritual, is very easy to us use the spiritual to justify the most selfish activity and claiming that it's from God. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. That's what they're doing. And that makes it very difficult to condemn them, right? I want you to see how difficult it would have been to contend for people. They're coming in claiming God has, in a sense, give them a dream, right? And that dream says, indulge the flesh. But you're not, see, we get this idea that they're coming in going, all right, guys, listen, listen. Here's all of these sins. Everyone, sin. You think they're coming in telling everyone to sin? No, they're telling everyone to say, you can do those things and it is what? Spiritual or godly. That's when it becomes really difficult to see the difference. Now, you would hope that some activities we'd be like, well, obviously I can't do that. But it's amazing what we can call spiritual that isn't. So far, so good. All right. All right. Let's go back to Jude. We're getting, we're making some progress. All right. We got filthy dreamers, defile the flesh. What's next? Despise dominion. All right. What word do we need to look up here? Well, we need to look up both, right? What does it mean to despise? I think we probably have a good idea of what it means to despise. But let's see if the Greek word carries the same idea. Oh, wait. Okay, I almost got ready to play a different Greek word. Here we go. Strong's G114, Atheteo. 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 All right. Atheteo is used, it's uh, translated uh, eight times despise, four times reject, uh, one time bring nothing, one time frustrate, one time disannul, and one time cast off. So despise, reject, cast off. Strong's definition, to set aside, to disesteem, to neutralize, or violate, cast off, despise, frustrate, bring to not, to reject. So I think we can get an idea. What does it mean here to despise something? If you despise something, what does it look like? All right, you're sitting down. What's, what's, what's the food that you utterly despise and it almost makes you want to throw up even thinking about eating? Someone said, someone said something? Tomatoes? All right, okay. Any, anybody else got one? Fish? Okay. Now, if you're sitting there and they put that plate in front of you, Okay. Well, you, you're, you're going to do what? You may try to be nice and say, no, thank you. Or you may like, mm. 
no, no, no. You may, you may, you may even try maybe to be nice, but sooner or later you're going to despise it and reject it. Even if you eat it, you may be rejecting it later when you give it back, right? Okay. When it all comes back up the wrong way. Okay. You get the idea? That's to reject, that's to despise. We, we can all relate to that, yes? Right? So they despise, they reject, they, it's, they cast it off. And what are they casting off or what are they rejecting? Dominion. Now, if we go to that Greek word, I think we probably have a good idea what this word is. What do you think? It's this Greek word. Strong's G, 2963, Kuriates. 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 And then guess what? It's used four, it's used, translated four times or used four times. Dominion three times, one time government. All right, that's interesting. And Strong's definition means rulers, dominion, government. It's used for dominion, power, lordship. One who possesses dominion. What would be another word we could use for that? Oh, there we go. That's a good word. Authority. So now let's follow this, this. Here are the people, all right? So let's think about these people. They've come into the church, right? They look like everyone else. They sound like everyone else, right? Okay? But deep down, they're ungodly. Well, that describes all of us to some level. Okay, right? They're ungodly. But here's some specific things about them. They're dream, filthy dreamers. So they dream, believing somehow it's from God, but the dream is dominated by what? Flesh, sensual, their own desires. But they believe it's from God. I want to make sure you see that that really gives us the idea by claiming that it's from God makes them very difficult to contend with, right? It'd be one thing if they just walk in, look guys, there is no God. Here's what we should do. Well, you'd be like, get out. But they're like, no, God. And you're like, oh boy, okay, that sounds good, right? Okay, so they got this dream. Now, this, dream, this filthy dream, the sensual dream, leads them to do what? The very next thing, look at Jude 1.8. Defile the flesh. And what does it lead to? The idea of defi- indulging the flesh, satisfying the flesh, right? Giving the flesh whatever it wants. But they're giving the flesh whatever it wants, claiming that it's coming from where? That somehow God is involved in it. Please, you've got to see that. This is so critical. And then this leads to a despiser, a rejection of authority. Now, why do you think it leads to a rejection of authority? Okay, rebellious. Right, think, think of the world of the church. Think of the world of religion. Right? Think of that. We'll, we'll, we'll set aside the government for a minute. Just think of the world of the church or religion. What is one thing religion and church is known for? Someone said structure. Come on, teenagers. Y'all, know, y'all probably know the word. Rules! Who said it? Oh, okay, I was wanting one of the teenagers to say it. Because I know teenagers, in many cases, that's all they see religion as is simply a list of rules, right? Because that's how it's usually... I mean, especially, I guess if you grow up in a religious home, it's probably more so than if you don't grow up in a religious home. But I know coming from basically a non-religious home where... I don't know if there was a rule, right? I, do what, I never had to come home and I, I could do whatever I want. I mean, there was just no rules, right? Okay, every once in a while there'd be a weird rule, but okay, we won't go through that whole mess. But okay, so then when you enter into the Christian world, all of a sudden you, I like, I come, what is this, right? All of a sudden I find out, 
I can't do this, I can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, this is wrong, 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 this is wrong. I can't say those words. I can't listen to this. I can't wear that. I can't go here. I can't do that. I'm like, what in the world just happened, right? It's like, it's like you walk in and like, here you go. All the rules. Now, those rules have a tendency to go against what? The flesh. Now, watch this down. See this progression? All right. I'm a filthy dreamer, right? I have these dreams that are all fleshly. They're not spiritual, right? But I believe they're from God. All right, good. So now this is going to lead me to do what? It's right there in 1.8. It's, it's this open book. Defile the flesh. Indulge the flesh. Now, once I believe it's from God and I'm indulging the flesh and I'm in the religious world, what am I going to come in conflict with quickly? All of those rules. The big book of rules. And I'm going to do what with those rules? What is, what is the, the, they say? They're going to despise them. But, but listen, this is, this is so brilliant. Are they going to despise it like, I don't need your rules, I can do whatever I want. No, they're going to say, I don't need your rules because God is on my side. Wow, that's, that's brilliant, right? That's brilliant. Because now you get to do whatever you want and who is justifying it? God. How do you contend with this? Now, if you think about it, them contending with these teachers, and you got to stay with me because someone's going to think I'm, I'm, I'm handling this book in an incorrect manner. The contention of with these false teachers is real, historical, and it's what must take place. But it serves as a picture of an allegory of contending with something else. Right? The, they are told to contend with the people. I'm not in any way denying the historical accuracy. I'm not in any, one, in any way, shape, or form denying the historical truthfulness of it. I'm not saying it's an allegory. I'm saying an allegory can be taken from it. The contending with these false teachers becomes allegorical of what? What do you think? Another contending that everyone who's a Christian has to deal with. What do you think? The contending with the teach, those teachers is an allegory for us contending with ourselves. We are the false teachers. How are we the false teachers? Do we believe what we think and believe comes from God? Yes, we do. Do we not? Right? I mean, you're not walking around going, oh, I believe all the wrong things about God. You believe you believe the right things about God. Yes, every church, every Christian claims that. Correct? And don't we have a tendency to use God to justify actions, even though they may not be like, you know, going off to Vegas and doing horrible things, but do we not have a way of using God to justify our Fleshly actions. I'm not saying sinful. Does everybody know the difference between fleshly and sinful? 
Does everybody understand the difference? Can fleshly be sinful? Does it always have to be sinful? Fleshly just means what's not involved. It's not spiritual, it's just what? It's just what I want, it's what I desire. There's nothing spiritual about it, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily sinful, right? Remember I gave those illustrations, like is there anything wrong with getting together and hanging out and eating food and talking about the weather? Not one thing wrong, sinful about it. Does that mean it's necessarily something great and spiritual and spiritually advantageous to everyone who engages in it? No, but we have a tendency to take our view of God, place it upon this so that it becomes something spiritual where we feel spiritual engaging in it. But really, it's just a fleshly activity. Fleshly does not necessarily mean sinful. It can be, but it can just be that it's something of the flesh has nothing to do with spiritual or godly or anything like that, right? There's nothing wrong with watching a college football game. But there's nothing spiritual about it, yes? Okay, so we have a tendency as Christians to say, okay, God's on our side. Then we find ways to indulge the flesh, somehow justifying it spiritually, right? And then we have a tendency that if anyone gets in the way and says what we're doing is wrong, we do immediately do what with it? We despise it. We despise the dominion. We reject it. We throw it off. And, and so, what, here, here, tell me if this ever sounds familiar. Someone preaches a message about this, some, some action being sinful. You reject the message, so you despise the dominion, and then you say something like, that's legalistic, that's legalism, I'm not going to listen to that. Now, you may be right, but there's a chance that you're using a spiritual condemnation of a biblical principle in order simply to justify your action. And what's a good one to throw out? It's legalism. It's legalistic. They're acting like Pharisees. Now, sometimes it may be Pharisaical. Sometimes it may be legalistic. But you always have to ask yourself, is it, am I rejecting it because it's legalism or am I rejecting it because... I want it. See, the key is to be honest with why you're rejecting it. Correct? We do the exact same thing, these false... I I don't think you can contend with that which is false until you first detect the false in yourself. You may want to write that down because I think that's pretty good. You can't contend with that which is false until you first can see and detect the false within you. Right? That is a very important concept. It's easy to contend with falsehood, but, I don't, but it's of no value if you're not contending with the falsehood inside of you. Because we've all got a little bit of this inside of us, right? We have God. We believe we're right, right? Then we, so therefore, we justify our way of thinking and our way of feeling. Then we find a way to justify the indulgence of the flesh, And then if anyone comes along and says, what you're doing is wrong, we immediately scream, you're a legalist. You're trying to put me in bondage. You can't tell me what to do. How dare you? How dare you criticize? How dare you call that into question? And and we get upset. You've probably got examples in your Christian life. I've got examples in my Christian life. (laughs) 
So what would be a way to contend with this? I'm not going to give you any answers, but I want you to think about that. And we'll stop right there and not go into what we do. But is that, so let's go through all of those descriptions. What's filth, uh, filthy dreamers? Do we understand what that means now? Fleshly dreamers who somehow believe possibly that it's inspired by God. Number two, what does that mean? Indulge the flesh. If the flesh wants it, it gets it. And then, that, but believing that it's somehow connected to God. I want to make sure you understand that there's a spiritual element to all of this. Because I think we read this and we think these people are the ones just walking into the church going, you know, and no, they're the ones who make it sound all spiritual. Right? They're the spiritual sounding people. All right? And then they reject or defile dominion. They reject any authority that goes against, well, what their flesh wants. And we all, everyone, everyone struggles with that. I mean, if you think about it, Christianity is very similar to your entire experience as a human being. When you're very little, what word do you not want to hear? No. And when you're a kid, what, when you, they hear no, do they, do they go, oh, thank you so much, mother and father? No, they go, <laughs> because they don't like no. Okay? Then as they get a little older, they may go from crying to what? No! And then they, they say no back, right? And then they, and they go, whoa, we got a power struggle here, right? And then as they get older, usually they become a little bit more clever, right? Yes, mother and father, I so much agree with you. <laughs> Whatever, okay, I'm going to go do what I want to do. They're not going to tell me. What. And, and then they become more, maybe a little more deceptive. Sometimes you have the kid who seems to be the pleaser that everyone thinks is so great, but they're, they're doing this stuff on the down low. And you've got the other one who may be far, far more in your face going, I'm just going to just tell you right now that I'm not going to do what you're telling me. But, but in both cases, you have what? Rebellion, and trust me, the grown-ups have it themselves. They just may have a different way of covering it up, but they're, they're, they're the same. We're, we always remain the same. What do we not like? We don't like no. Did Eve like no? And guess what she didn't have? A sinful nature. Do you think we like If she didn't have a sinful nature and she didn't like no, can you imagine the the mess we're in. We definitely don't like it. The danger is when we take our dislike of no and we spiritualize it so that we can turn the no into a yes and claim that it's God justifying it. That's the danger here. All right, we'll stop right there. All right, Lord God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to work through this very important concept. I hope that we will give this much thought. And consideration, and it will continue to help and benefit us as we consider the book of Jude. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.